as soon as you start trying to create a policy or a practice or write something down because of one person one time trying to take advantage of something, then you're going to have more of that. How you know you've done it poorly? One, the person uh, looks at you and says, I had absolutely no idea. Powder Pig fans, you're tuning into episode 62 of Powder Pig Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas decidedly outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today we're going to talk about how to build a turnkey HR process for emerging companies. How do you scale a team quickly? How do you keep teams running efficiently? And how can you be competitive with talent? And I'm so excited because I have two guests today on the show. Our first is actually a veteran of the Powder Pig podcast from season one, uh, and that is Mr. Mike Kelly. He is the co-founder of the Developer Town family of companies, uh, and most people know of Developer Town as a consulting company focused on helping companies build, design, and launch technology products to solve problems and make things better. We talked a lot about this on episode 38 of the podcast uh, with just Mike Kelly on that show. Uh, but the thing is, Mike is a man of many talents. Uh, he also helps launch startups in their co-founder studio called DT Starts. They also have a number of their own SaaS products, including Tenant Tracker, Waterly, and startup competitors. His role is mostly to make sure this team is pointed in the same direction. He does an amazing job. Uh, in fact, Powder Keg used to be office out of the developer town uh, offices in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I got to witness it firsthand for literally for years. Uh, as they grew and, and scaled their team. Uh, they also provide companies with the services and programs they need to support and grow their people through full stack. So please welcome to the show, Mike Kelly. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Mike. Uh, and then I, I told you we're extra lucky today because we have uh, the COO of full stack and someone who has been immensely helpful to Powder Keg as we have grown our team. She is a certified human resource professional with experience in strategic planning and execution. She is amazing at management and development, employee relations, training, education, compensation, benefits, payroll, all those things that you need to know as an employer to be competitive and attract and grow the right team as a startup. Uh, so please help me welcome the COO at Full Stack, Ms. Dawn Lively. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. Um, before we dive into some of the, the tactical stuff, I would love to get a little bit of context of uh, kind of how Full Stack came to be. Uh, and Mike, I remember you and I talking, you know, maybe a year or more years ago now yeah. at this point about the opportunity that you were seeing in the space. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about why uh, you decided to start this company? Do you want the the uh, real history or the the marketing version of the of, of the I want answer. the real right. history, Mike. So uh, when we started Developer Town in 2010, we of course uh, didn't want to deal with uh, all the things that come out of hiring employees and making payroll and offering benefits and stuff like that. And we wanted to be competitive with benefits out of the gate, so we leveraged a PEO. Uh, and PEO stands for Professional Employment Organization, uh, which is a very fancy way. Don can go into the details, but it's a very fancy way of saying outsourced HR, right? So somebody's just going to come in and help you with all that stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's a lot of compliance stuff and things like that, which uh, is why we thought as founders um, that we wanted to have somebody else do that so we could focus on sales and growing the business and hiring the right talent and stuff like that. So for the first couple of years of Developer Town, we had a PEO partner, absolutely the right choice. Uh, we grew very quickly. Uh, it took a ton of stuff off our plate. Uh, like any growing company, as, as we grew, our needs changed and we started looking around in the market for what would be the best way for us to, to continue growing and, and who would be the best partner. So we experimented for a couple of years with some other options, everything from bringing everything in-house and self-insuring to uh, other HR partners who could potentially help. And we hit this point, I want to say 2015-ish, where uh, we basically recognized a, a couple of things. One, we weren't doing an awesome job doing it in-house. I, I don't think we were doing as good as we could have been doing if we were leveraging a partner. And two, we were actually strategically leaving something on the table because um, by that time uh, in our trajectory, we had launched a number of other companies who all had the same need, right? Like, so when, like the problem we felt as founders in one business, we now had multiple businesses where we felt those same problems. And I don't know that we had a really great answer to it. So around that time, we asked Dawn to join us. Uh, we had met her in the past at one of those uh, PEOs that, that we had worked with. Uh, and she foolishly said yes. And so the idea was internally behind the scenes, we would build our own little PEO that would work with the family of companies uh, and, and basically act like a PEO for all of our own ventures uh, behind the scenes. We did that for about a year. And then after a year of doing it for ourselves and eating our own dog food, uh, we talked about it as a leadership team. And we basically said, look, this is actually a really cool service. We have a lot of starts companies and other companies in, here in the community that could leverage something like this. We think we can, I'm more than happy to talk about this, we think we can be different than some of the current offerings that are in the market, uh, be, both because we are obviously super technology focused and understand tech companies in a way that maybe some other PEOs don't, um, but also because we know that for us to grow, we need to be insanely competitive in that space. And we know what being competitive means when you're trying to hire tech talent. And even just that knowledge alone would differentiate us from a number of competitors in the space. So. Earlier this year, January of 2018, we launched uh, Fullstack as a as its own company to service uh, emerging companies. Is kind of what we say that mostly means tech focused companies, but not entirely, uh, as they continue to bring on early talent and grow. Can you talk to me a little bit more about um, tech talent and how their needs are maybe a little bit different of talent you might find in a different industry? Yeah. So. A number of different directions to take that. So uh, we'll we'll just start with competitiveness, right? So if if you're a designer, developer, marketing professional, product owner, like salesperson, and basically anybody working in tech today, and you're not aware of the massive talent shortage uh, in in our main market, Indianapolis, in Indiana, in the Midwest, in the in the country, like then you're not in the valley, in, in New York. anywhere. Yeah. Yes. Uh, then you're sleeping under a rock. Uh, like it is insanely competitive for talent. Uh, and, and what that means is if, if you're somebody who's looking for an opportunity, you have a lot of options, right? And so, and, and a lot of people think 
Uh, and, and money is a big motivator. Like a lot of people think that means that you can demand a higher salary and you can, but at, at some point, and one of the things that we see it is that that's really not like that has to be met, but that's not always the primary motivator for what people are looking for. They're looking for work-life balance, the ability to work remote, uh, what's their office situation going to be like? What's the culture of the team that they're working with? What are the benefits that they're getting? What are like, uh, like all of these, what's their vacation policy? Like all these different things, how many hoodies do I get? And, and it's like understanding, I'm glad that got a laugh, understanding all of we that. Don't, we don't have any hoodies in Powder Keg yet, so oh, we, wow. we better, we better up our game. That. We're not competitive on the hoodie game. Got to up your game, yeah. man. Uh, so uh, it, it, it's understanding all of those things to then say, okay, if you're an employer looking for that talent, you, maybe you don't have to have the best package as the, you know, the top five employers of tech talent in that market. But you got to understand what they're offering and you got to have an answer to that whenever you sit down with a candidate and talk to them. And you can say, look, you know, you may make a little bit less here uh, from a cash compensation perspective, but we make up for that with culture and environment and the team that you get to work with. And, uh, you know, there's less bureaucratic processes here and there's uh, maybe there's more chance for equity here. And, you know, whatever your answer to that is, you just need to be able to articulate that. So I, I think one of the one of the first things we try to, to bring to the table is just understanding within the ecosystem that you're operating in, where do you fit and how do you position yourself effectively in that market to both attract the talent that's going to be good for that because not everybody should work at a startup uh, and not everybody who works at a startup should work at a large company. Uh, so making sure you're attracting the right talent and, and then that you have the right benefits and comp structure and all that kind of stuff to, to, to make sure that they're going to want to stay with you in the long run. In terms of the, uh, that, that sort of package that, uh, someone working at a tech company would have, and this might even be a better question for Don, just being the, the COO and, and seeing how you've engaged with our team, uh, at powder keg, what is sort of that like minimum viable, Stack. I mean, I assume full stack is alluding to the stack of services that you need to have as a company. Well, what do startups need to have sort of as like table stakes at this point in a market like Indianapolis in the Midwest? Well, what's so tricky right now, what I keep coming across is talking to individuals who are just starting their own businesses, going to the co-working spaces such as ZWorks or Speakeasy and talking to individuals that have started a business one month ago or four months ago, or they're about to turn 26 and get booted off mom and dad's health plan. And sure. what are they going to do now? How do they handle this? They need some type of insurance and they aren't really liking what they find in the exchange. And this is super timely because the exchange is open for open enrollment right now. So everybody's going through these cycles right now and finding all of this. But in a nutshell, they're realizing if they want to get to a point as a company of recruiting that talent, hiring that talent, and even being able to get somebody on board, you cannot rely on them having a spouse's health plan to be on or being under age 26. So really having a, an equitable health plan of some kind, at a minimum, a high deductible health plan yeah. that has you know a deductible of even $5,000, okay, then you can compete with what somebody's going to find on the exchange. Ideally, you're going to have multiple options. You may even still have a PPO option, meaning you have co-pays and a smaller deductible, and you can partner that with a medical flexible spending account. Any of these types of options that you have, people are more and more now used to high deductible plans, mm -hmm. being able to have a health savings account, being able to put that money aside pre-tax. So that, I would say, would be a bare minimum. And then you also have things like dental plans, vision plans, 
a 401k is a good thing, but out of the gate, a lot of employers can't really have one, yep. depending on their funding and all of that. So really, we just try to have those options available to them, given whatever point they are in their life cycle, to be able to have that suite of benefits available. What about things like vacation time and remote work? What are some of the trends you're seeing startups have there? I mean, I, I see more and more sort of like, we don't have a vacation policy. Take as many days off as you want. Correct. Uh, or you might see things like, you can work from wherever, but it's encouraged that you're in the office from nine to five. You know, like what, what are some of the best practices that you've seen um, here in the Midwest, these startups in particular? A lot of our partners do have, I guess you would say, unlimited time off, but there's such an expectation when you're working with a startup. You know, it's more a matter of people people trying not to go 60 to 70 hours a week than people who are trying to game the system and barely get 40 hours in. So a lot of the business owners we work with recognize that, appreciate that, and they may have some type of guideline of, hey, if you're going to take over six weeks off this year, something should probably be going on. You know, you're expanding your family or something's happened. But beyond that, really trying to keep a more minimal approach as they're growing and pacing themselves because there's more likely to have a chance of burnout of these employees. And again, to what Mike was alluding to, you want to have that work-life balance as much as possible. Yeah. Because everybody's so invested. Absolutely. Mike, how do you uh, find uh, you've, you? What have you seen work well and what have you seen work not so well at the companies either you've been a leader at or that you've invested in uh, as an angel investor in terms of that work-life balance and in terms of uh, vacation time, remote work, uh, in terms of how people are spending their time and where they're spending it? So I think the smaller the company is, the more you can personalize that answer down to the individual, right? So some interesting things like when I reflect on what I think are some of our better moments uh, as a as a team when we were scaling, like I remember an employee coming to me, we've had an unlimited vacation policy for a while. I don't think we always had one. I think we actually had PTO at one point, but may, that could be wrong. It could be memory messing with me. Dawn's <laughs> giving me the funny face so i'll just move on uh but you know like some of the best moments i think we had i remember an employee a, a developer coming to me years ago and he's like hey i was wondering like if i'm thinking about taking a vacation to india or indonesia next year I, uh, maybe it was the philippines and he's like i, I so i was, I was kind of wondering could i like i'm not going to take any time off uh, for the rest of this year, if I could like maybe take four weeks off next year and, and, and go do that and go do that big trip. And like, this is a guy who's clearly crushing it. Like, you know, is one of our key developers and, um, his name is always one of the first names that comes up for projects. And, and the answer to that is so simple, right? It's like, and, it, and again, you can only do this when you're a small company. It's like, dude, you're not taking four weeks. You're taking eight and take your laptop with you and just work for 10 to 20 hours a week while you're over there. And then just who cares, right? Like, just go do it. Like that's a once sounds like a once in a lifetime thing. Enjoy it. Right. Like, and we'll figure it out. So, um, I think those types of things where you can really, you know, we had a, another developer years later, basically traveled the world for a year and, uh, was all over the place. Now that had some complications <laughs> with it. Uh, everything from like not all coffee shops are created equally. So you can't always be in a client call from a coffee shop if it's, you know, people yelling out orders behind the scenes and stuff like that. So like there are, I'm not going to say it's all like, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but, but I do think it is very much one of the strengths that you have as a startup is understanding what 
do each of my employees want and need? And you can do that when you have a small team of under 20 people and then say, okay, like how do we create policies and a culture here that supports that while also making sure that we get what we need, right? So after you're on the client call with in the coffee shop with people shouting out orders behind you, there's probably a conversation that happens there that's like, hey man, you know, you can work from London, you just can't work there. Like you gotta <laughs> find a better spot, you know, like, like it's on you if you're gonna do this, like you gotta respect, you know, the environment that you're in and, and you got to make that work and, and he did. Right. So like, it's, you know, that kind of stuff where you just basically be open about it and you'll, you'll attract and retain the best talent. So I think those are the kinds of things, like that's where my head goes initially, where it's like, it's less a macro policy and it's more like, how do you as the, as the leader of that organization, which doesn't need to be the founder or like any leader in an organization like that, how are you having those conversations with your team to really understand what's driving them? what they want and need and how you can better support that. It can be simple things like just giving somebody the permission that like, yeah, you want to drop your kids off at school and that means you're not going to show up in the office until 9 30, 10 o'clock. Didn't do that. Like who cares? Right. Like, uh, you know, figure it out later. And, um, those small things like a lot of, especially in startups where you tend to probably have a younger, would skew to a younger leadership team. Maybe this is their first time. Maybe they've not done this kind of stuff. Like just, just know that it's okay to talk about that stuff and, and like, and just make, just reassure people that that stuff's okay. Yeah. How much of this do you feel like needs documentation and structure around it? Um, maybe that's a better Don question. Oh no, I'm going first. <laughs> uh, you know, my answer would be none, none at all. Uh, but she'll give you the real answer. <laughs> Frankly, over time, that's one of the ways that I feel I personally have gotten along the best with these small tech startups. There is such an HR education in the need for bureaucracy, document everything, have a policy, document, document, document. And that's just not the reality. As soon as you start trying to create a policy or a practice or write something down because of one person one time trying to take advantage of something, then you're going to have more of that. And honestly, Matt, that same person will try to find the way to work around whatever you've just written. Mm -hmm. So manage for the many, manage for the culture you want and how you want to create it. Don't manage to the few or the odd situation that went off here or there. Oh, that's really great advice. I like that a lot. That, that should be like on a motivational poster uh, inside all <laughs> founders' offices. Uh, manage, manage to the many. I like that a lot. Um, how should a new startup develop and, and, and sort of decide how they're going to sustain their company culture? Oh, great question. See, I went immediately to the policies in my head and I was like, <laughs> what, what's the bare minimum you need to have? Yeah, what, what are the bare minimum I, policies? I guess I'll attack it from that standpoint and then let Mike kind of talk about culture because he definitely has more experience than I do of forming culture of brand new startups. For me, um, I always recommend having a basic handbook in place. Hmm. And part of full stack service offering is to help create that basic handbook sure. that's going to have the minimum essential employment law protections and privileges outlined in it so that when every employee comes on, that's part of their onboarding package that they just go online, they get this, they download this, they acknowledge it, and it's right there, easy enough to use. Um, I feel like things like PTO policies can sometimes wait like Mike said, maybe maybe 20 people, maybe 10 people. It depends on the type of business you're running and how necessary is it to have 
four hours covered versus an eight to five covered versus, you mm-hmm. know, those are the kinds of things that'll dictate when you need to have those policies. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, a basic handbook is a great place to start. Handbook and posters. Handbook and handbook posters. Handbook and posters. What are po- t- talk to me a little bit more about posters. Oh my goodness. So there are federally required posters. There are required posters for each state in which you're working. Uh, if you have remote workforce, if you have people working from their homes, you are technically supposed to send them posters. And I'm sure our remote employees all have posters hanging on their wall right by their desks where they do their work, of course, clearly. Uh, but you have you have to be covered. You have to have these posters posted. Yeah. That seems like a thing a founder maybe wouldn't think of or <laughs> Would prioritize. Not care. <laughs> Would not care, I think, is what yes. you're looking for, yes. per se. But then also not be legally covered. Uh, either if they don't do that. Uh, Mike, the, what's your take on, on culture from a more sort of like soft, the yeah. soft side of things? Uh, the softer side of full stack? Is that where we're going here? <laughs> sure. All right. So, uh, so I always think of a quote from Julie DeSutters, one of my partners. Uh, she says this quite a bit, which is culture. Like everybody thinks culture is your ping pong table and your kegerator and all of that kind of stuff and she's very quick to point out that culture is not the stuff that you have it's the way that you treat one another right that's your culture Mm -hmm. so and and it's hard like especially if you're a founder and you're reading like you know hr articles and fast company and and you know online like they talk about all of those other things right they talk about hoodies and ping pong and stuff like that and it's like that none of that actually influences how people are going to treat one another, right? It, I mean, that stuff might get you to have fun together and open up and stuff like that, but it, it, it's not how you actually treat one another. So when I think of culture, I tend to go after that. And it's as a team, if you're trying to establish early culture, you're going to, if you, if you aren't actively managing that as a leader and you're letting your team set it without any sort of direction, then you may be very unhappy with the culture that emerges mm-hmm. over time. It can be toxic. It can be challenging. It can be, uh, you know, people not feeling included or welcomed. Uh, and so you have to consciously think through the things that you want to manage for. And one of the best ways that I know to do that is uh, work with your team. Uh, and I would say this is a full team activity, not just the founder, to define what you want your values to be. Tons of exercises out there, but none of them better than any of the others. Uh, just go Google how to define your values. Pick a, pick one. Um and then do a team activity to define, okay, this is what we value as a team. And then the next step, which is very rarely done, is then identify some specific behaviors that we would demonstrate as a team, like as individuals, to show that we were living these values. So if you have a value which is we want to be inclusive, then what are the behaviors that you would see that would lead to inclusiveness. If you say we want to, we believe in communication, what are the behaviors you would see that would lead to that? If we want to put the customer first, what are the behaviors you would see that would lead to that and list them out. And then again, for early teams, when you're really small, this might be three people to 10 people. Then on, in your weekly team meeting, or if you're doing, if you're a software company and you're doing sprints during your sprint review or sprint planning at whatever regular cadence you have, walk that list and call out the people who've demonstrated those behaviors, right? So like, Matt, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, one of our values is put the customer first. And I really appreciate you standing up for the customer during sprint planning and making sure we put that feature in there because it was causing these problems for that customer, that kind of stuff. And just verbalizing these appreciations in a positively, like you're not calling people out publicly for when they violate one of these, <laughs> 
you're because that's going to give you a different kind of culture. Uh, you're you're acknowledging when people have lived these behaviors that you guys have defined that that demonstrate these values. And if you're very conscious about doing that, your values are going to change over time, and your culture is going to change over time, and that's great. But like you're at least helping shape the direction for where that's going, and it's it's probably the simplest thing a team can do. Costs you nothing other than a little bit of time, and it, and it's super time well spent. You mentioned doing this activity as a team. What are some of the other team activities or outings or experiences that you've seen kind of foster culture yeah. or in some cases maybe detract from culture if done the wrong way? I'll, I'll do some quick ones. I'll try to stay positive uh, on the softer side. So uh, so a couple of quick things. We stole one early on from a company in um, Michigan uh, called Atomic Object. They have... Um, I don't know if they call them buddy lunches. We call them buddy lunches. It's basically a thing that they do where um, every employee is allowed once a month to go out to lunch one-on-one with another employee. It's very simple rules. It's got to be one-on-one and you are not allowed to talk about work. Uh, and if you do follow those two rules, uh, the company will pay for lunch. And uh, again, with some reason like this, these aren't steak dinners, this is probably sandwiches somewhere, but uh, but but the company will pay for lunch. And the idea is, and there's tons of research that supports this, right? Like we know that if you work with friends, people who you have deep relationships with outside of the work that you do, you're less likely to leave and it's going to lead to lower employee turnover and you're going to feel a lot more trust in the environment. So you're much more likely to ask for help when you get stuck on a problem. You'll know a little bit more about people uh, then you can lean on that and some of those shared experiences. So like all that stuff helps reduce friction in the workforce. So that's one that, that we stole early on uh, from them. And it, it, it's been a, a great program. I like that one. Um, tons of people and tons of companies we know uh, do like a, you know, a happy hour once a week or once a month where the whole team will either go out somewhere. There's a, a I was talking to a company that's 100% remote. Um, I want to say this like a week ago. And they do a happy hour on every Friday where um, everybody gets into the hangout together and, and you can like see the beer or the wine or the soda if, if they don't drink. Uh, but but you're all still there for that same, you know, four o'clock on a Friday time zone may vary because, uh, again, everybody's remote, but they still do it together in that shared space. So I, I think whatever those rituals are where you're kind of getting everybody together and it's social, not work related, I, I think those things are important. I like that a lot. Uh, in terms of um, the culture itself, and you, you mentioned, Mike mentioned um, retaining talent and, and keeping talent around. Don, I'm curious what you have seen that uh, has caused more employees to, to quit or even to get fired at a startup. Like, what are some of those uh, mistakes that either management uh, could make or that employees could make uh, early on in a startup life cycle? I think failing to define culture and actually, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. That nice quote uh, is very true. You need to be deliberate about it as leaders and actually put effort into it from the get-go. A lot of times if you're starting up a company, you may have somebody that's new as a business owner. You may have somebody that's new as a leader or a manager. And so, again, being conscious of your own strengths and the areas in which you can develop more. Uh, needing to be candid about blind spots and failing to have crucial conversations early and often. Mm -hmm. I also feel as a company is emerging and growing, when they fail to look at professional development and personal development, 
we talked about a lot of great things that contribute to a culture, recruiting people, retaining people. That's one thing we've not mentioned yet is companies, when they fail to put the time, the effort, the budget into that professional development, whether it's seminars, whether it's, hey, we're all going to read this book together and talk about it, whatever the case may be, based on what you can and cannot afford as a company, there needs to be conscious effort to be developing and consistently growing. And if you fail to miss that and everybody's just so busy doing the work, all hands on deck, you're missing an opportunity there. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. Uh, in terms of that, um, sometimes you really do want to engage and retain talent, but sometimes... Uh, in an early stage of a startup, you need to get the, the wrong people off the bus. Um, what have you seen some of the biggest mistakes that founders or executives make as startups when having to let someone go or, or when not letting someone go I, soon enough? There's, again, failing to have the crucial conversation. Um, many times people can be fortunate in startups to be working with very good friends of theirs, people that they've known for a long time. And when the nature of that relationship changes, it can get very tricky very quickly. Uh, also, when having either failing to have the conversation, having putting off the conversation too long, because again, everybody cares about one another. I don't perceive that anybody loves to have you're not hacking it anymore conversations, or you never have hacked it from the beginning. Sure. You know, so you put you put it off, you put it off, and then the person's been there two years. Yeah. Um, there's that that happens. There's when you actually have the chance to have the conversation, but you just want to go a different route of saying, well, we're going to eliminate your position instead. Um, or just go a different route along those lines. Those are the tough conversations because, I mean, you want to be kind to somebody, but sometimes one of the kindest things you can do is tactfully and eloquently tell them where they need to improve as a professional. Yeah. That's a huge honor you're doing someone, even though it's super hard to do. Is there anything that, that a leader needs to do in preparation for that meeting uh, and, and that decision of letting someone go that maybe startups don't take the time to do? So ironically, now I'm going to go back and say <laughs> document, document, document for yourself. That's the cleanest thing because everybody's going so fast and you may have had a conversation with somebody on the fly and said, hey, you're not meeting it related to X, Y, and Z. Let's circle back on this in a couple weeks. And then it's 45 days later, or it's 90 days later, or you've been out of the office four out of five days of the week, and you you don't want to go back to that conversation because it's difficult, but you also are being pulled in eight different directions as an owner. Mm -hmm. So tr if you have a note you had that you can go back and go, oh my gosh, it's November 2nd or November 18th, and we talked about this in July. Because time does fly by like that, especially the older you get and the more you're doing this. You know, there's a reality there that you can lose track of time. And also having a progressive discipline process, Mike's going to poo-poo me on this, but <laughs> it, there is something to be said. And, and this is as the person who tends to be the witness in the room. Yeah. When you're having that conversation with somebody, when you're giving them a separation agreement, when you're having that final conversation... It's never an easy conversation to have, and hopefully it never will be for me or anyone with whom I'm working. But ideally, you've set the stage, you've communicated expectations, you've communicated where expectations have not been met. It was always my goal when I was managing a team to never have a review or a performance-related conversation be a surprise. 
if your goal is for it never to be a surprise, then everyone's on much equal footing. They may not like your message, but they at least understand. It probably helps reduce anxiety too in, in the workplace as well, which could be helpful. Mike, do you have any thoughts on maybe what a startup might consider like minimum viable documentation uh, or, or how to, to go about tracking this as you're growing at breakneck speed? Yeah, so I, I would take a slightly, just a different angle on an answer uh, entirely, which is like, I so I do it from my perspective. I've done a really, really poor job of letting people go and I've, I've done it really well. Uh, and I know like the times, you know when you do it well, when you walk into the room with, with Dawn uh, and the person who's there is like, oh, that conversation I'm surprised it took you guys this long like like that's an actual real quote like like yeah yeah I knew this was good like like it was the best right like we yeah. talked about it super quick conversation and then he and then the guy I was talking to was like hey we still doing lunch after this like you know I'd like to talk to you about what's next for me and get your thoughts and stuff like, like so like that was how do you set how what yeah, are the things that you did that's what I want to talk about that? because I, I'm well, not well before we dive into that could you maybe talk to me about an example or two of ones that maybe didn't go so well. Yeah. Um, sometimes the biggest lessons are in the, the biggest failures. Yeah. Those hurt. Uh, and those, those are it. Those are the, when I look at what, if you were to ask me, what are my biggest failures, uh, in this business? It, it's those, um, especially in close relationships, uh, and places where upon reflection, I, I know I could have done more. I could have done better. And like, and, and it's, it's learning from that to figure out how do you prevent that going forward? Uh, and, and making sure you, you walk away with, uh, some sort of lesson that you can apply in the future to, to prevent that from happening again. So examples of that would be like how, you know, you've done it poorly when the person, uh, looks at you and says, I had absolutely no idea. Uh, or the person, um, you know, maybe they had an idea, but they say something like, um, you know, from our last conversation, I thought I had more time or I thought, I thought you said we were going to try this, this, and this. And so, and so there's like this clear mismatch of expectation setting and, uh, and managing those expectations actively that, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So... For me, a, a lot of times when I think about, in particular, how I can do better at that, it's um, it's making like there's this uh, there's this playbook that I run in my head, which is if I'm sitting down with you uh, right now, Matt, to have a performance conversation, the the very first thing I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make sure you understand is what do I want? So what's the goal? So I'm 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 actually just gonna ask you, like Matt, do you understand what success looks like? Do you, do you know what like do you, like do you know what your if you're in a sales world, do you know what your numbers are? If you're a developer, do you know what a successful sprint looks like? Do you, if you're a designer, do you know what uh, successful designs look like or a successful customer review meeting looks like? Like, I, like I, the first thing I'm going to try to establish is like, you know, do you even know what success looks like? Shocking for me, half the time they don't, and that's my fault. There's nobody else's. Like that's that's all a hundred percent on you as a leader in the organization. If people don't know what success looks like, that's because you didn't show them. And maybe you showed them once and that ain't good enough. You have to show them seven, 10, 12, 15 times, right? Like it needs to be a drum that is beat again and again. This is where we're going. This is what success looks like. And this is what your part in that success looks like. 
it's not enough to say, well, you knew, you knew, Matt, you're a sales guy here. You knew we needed to grow sales by $2 million this year. You're one of four people. That means you're on the hook for half a million dollars. You, you did that math really quick. It's a really good chance that salesperson didn't do that math really quick, right? Like, so it's, it's, you have to make that stuff explicit. What does it look like for you? What yeah. is your success? So that's number one. Can they articulate it back to you enough that, that you're like, yeah, yeah, this person gets it. If they haven't, you don't have a performance problem. You have a leadership problem. You need to fix that first. Two, uh, if they can do that, if they're like, yep, this is what success looks like. And, uh, and I know what my role in that is. Then the next thing is, we, well, you're not hitting it right now. So I'm going to be very clear uh, that you're not. Do- and I'm not going to be like, well, do you think we can do better as a team? I'm not going to do that on my best days. I will do that on my weaker days. But on my best days, I'm going to say, and you know you're not doing that, right? Now, what can we do to get you to the point where you're doing it? Is it a process? Is it, a, to Dawn's point, is it education? Can I get you a coach, a mentor? Can I do some ride-alongs with you? Can we do, like, whatever that is, it's it's now getting shared agreement on, like, this is the next thing we're going to try to to improve that performance and get you to what is going to be defined as success. And then you put a time frame on it. Uh, which is, and, and okay, so we're going to try this and we're going to check back in in a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it is, right? Depends on how long you have runway-wise, especially in a startup, to, to let that play out. Sometimes they can see they're not meeting the need and, and you both recognize there's not enough runway. I've had that conversation where they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to learn fast enough. I need, I shouldn't be here. I remember in our second year at Developer Town, we hired a project manager from a a very senior project manager who was very, very accomplished. And he came in here uh, and about 90 days in, it was that we did a 30, 60, 90 day review. It was 30 day review. The conversation was, Hey man, looks like you're struggling. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm struggling, but I'll figure it out. 60 day review. It was like, how do you think you're doing? Dude, I'm still very much struggling. Uh, I, I think I'll figure it out. 90 day review. How do you think you're doing? I shouldn't be here. I can't figure it out. And I don't think there's anything you can do to help me figure it out. I'm just not the right fit for a startup. Done. Right? Like he knew he opted out, right? Like he knew it. So sometimes people know that you can't get there fast enough. Um, and it was great. Uh, and we're still friends, but, um, but, but like, so that's the next thing. How quickly do we need to check in? And then we're going to have that conversation maybe a couple of times, because I'm not just going to assume we can fix it on the first try, but eventually we both start to understand in that dialogue, that we're trying things that we both think should make you successful and we're not getting there, this may not be the right place for you. Uh, and, and to me, like now, now underlying all of that, if you play, if you play back what Dawn said uh, about 10 ish minutes ago, there should be maybe some note taking that I never do. There should be maybe some note taking <laughs> behind the scenes that's happening in that, that you're maybe following up with that employee with an email after each of those conversations. Hey Matt, this is what we talked about. This is what we're going to try. We're going to check back in in four weeks. Uh, getting the thumbs up from Dawn. Uh, so uh, like maybe that would be a really good thing to do. But I would say if you're doing those things, like that, what I just outlined is the bare minimum playbook yeah. for a healthy, crucial conversation around performance. And if you've done that three times and then you sit down on that fourth time and it's like, hey, Matt, it ain't working out, buddy. We need to figure out what's next for you. That person's not going to be stunned. They're going to be like, yeah. I kind of thought that might be the case. Yep. When, when you talk about these kinds of things, it's, it's clear 
a lot of executive focus needs to go into getting these things in place, getting core values set in stone, uh, getting check-ins done on, on time um, and on a regular, consistent basis, getting those notes taken. Um, in, in terms of the, the sorts of things that a founder shouldn't be spending their time on or maybe um, could be better if they outsourced it, what are, what are those, those things that like, founders should think first about getting off their plate? Um, having to worry about an email that says you need updated employment posters. <laughs> that's, that's one common area. How frequently are you processing payroll? So twice a month or every other week having to deal with messing with whatever program it may be or dealing with an outsourced company to have to feed everything into a system and build everything that way. Uh, annually, what type of benefits? How are you going to structure those benefits? You know, it should be a one-time-a-year quick conversation on what do we want our cost strategy to be and how does that fit into our budget versus, oh, my goodness, do we need to add this benefit here? Do we need to add that benefit there? So-and-so agent contacted me. This broker contacted me. They want to go to lunch. They want to have this meeting and that meeting. Really, as much as you can, streamlining that into one source, one partner, really helps. Yeah. Uh, obviously... This is what full stack does. Yeah. Um, can I? But can, can yeah. I take a different swing at that? Please do. So, um, so for me, the, the first thing I thought of there when you asked that question is like there. First, there's this delicate balance of like what can you afford to hand off to somebody else versus what do you have to do from a founder from a just from a cash perspective. That's exactly where I was going. Oh, nice, <laughs> sweet. Um, and so, let's do the perfect world first. In the perfect world. You built a company that has a product and you're trying to, if you're a startup, you're trying to find product market fit. Every second of your day should be focused on that product market fit. How do I get it? How do I make it better? How do I get to charge more for this product? How can I produce this product for less? It's all about that. Anything that's preventing you from doing that is a distraction. So all the, all the potential distractions that could be there could be HR, legal, accounting, basically anything there's a professional service out there for, uh, insurance, like all of that stuff. You can self-serve in all of those spaces and it's just a trade-off of time for money uh, in, in finding the right partner who can help you do some of that stuff. I would go further, which is fundraising is a distraction from helping you find product market fit. You know this one well. Uh, it could be uh, it could be hiring is a distraction from product market fit, but hiring, interestingly enough, is one of the most strategic things you can be doing as a leader. Uh, so there's a little bit of a dichotomy there, right? Like, and you then that now you start to get into this like little gray area where. Uh, there are things that you probably need to do because they're strategic in core to the company. Accounting isn't one of those uh, necessarily, um, but uh, but the, the further you get away from them, the, the further your company is going to drift maybe in a direction that, that you don't want to be. So for me, when I think about, in, and I'm involved in a number of businesses right now, and when I think about where's the right place for me to do it myself versus me to leverage a partner, uh, obviously... It depends on how early stage startup is. Uh, the first thing I think about is cost. Uh, and then the second thing I think about is how much of a distraction is this? It's actually a really good example of this for Don and I right now. And we just went back and forth on this a little bit in the last couple of weeks. We're, we're obviously full stack is pretty early stage company. We'd like to grow very rapidly. We would be one of our own target clients if, uh, if we could sell to ourselves. And we're going back and forth on um, 
a software solution. Uh, we were going back and forth on a software solution focused on helping automate uh, tax compliance. So when you're, uh, we have employees in multiple states, we obviously have to then be registered in all those states. We have to file taxes and pay taxes for all those states. And we have to pay a bunch of other things like workers comp and like, you know, there's tons of stuff you have to do when you have an employee. Um, and today Dawn does all of those things manually in every state. So if we have employees in five states, Every month, she gets to go out to websites for each of those, hopefully, websites for each of those five states. Some of them, maybe it's paper form. Some of them, maybe it's, you know, it's different in each one and and file all this paperwork and do all this stuff. Now, there's software solutions out there that will do that for you. And for the low, low price of $10,000 a year, you can automate that with software. And that is obviously a major point of contention because we're an early stage company. We don't have a lot of cash. $10,000 is a lot of money. But the flip side of that is, and this is ultimately what won me over and why we're automating it, is because every second Dawn spends on that, she is not doing sales. She's not supporting one of our customers and answering their questions. She's not thinking strategically about what are the new products and services we need to be offering or how can I better support one of our employees because God forbid we actually have employees now, which is a little scary. <laughs> uh, so like, like all of those things are way, way more important than her figuring out where do I log in in the state of Tennessee now and what am I supposed to fill out here versus the state of Oregon? And like, and like that's what won me over, right? Like, uh, like my, my knee-jerk reaction was, heck no, we're not spending 10K. And then it's like, but at the consequence of what? Right. Like what's the other thing we should be doing? And that made it a relatively easy decision for me. That's really great feedback and a great example. Um, any closing thoughts for, for early stage startups or founders that we didn't cover? Um, I think uh, it's specific to like HR and talent and people and culture. Yes. Yes. All right. First, get hoodies. It's like table stakes, dude. <laughs> Expect my powder cake hoodie uh, sometime before the end of the year. I'm on it. Uh, right on. Um, In the investor update email, I'll be like, Mike said we had to spend 2K on hoodies. Thanks. Uh, what are Those we, are some nice hoodies for we, 2K. We, <laughs> gravy. I just expect my hoodie to be 2K. Okay. Uh, one of the things we didn't we didn't touch on, which I do actually think this is important to culture, is I, I'm a big believer in ritual. Yeah. Uh, and ritual can be anything. It can be, um, you know, we we do a summer outing here at Developer Town where we'll try to have all the employees over to one of the partners' houses. We do. We're pretty big on Christmas parties, uh, holiday party now because we're big. Uh, but uh, but like a holiday party is is uh, kind of one of our non-negotiables. And 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 so like you know we have some things that we do uh, from an events perspective that are have become part of our culture. One of the things that we've instituted as part of all of those is like we want to be kid friendly and family friendly. Um, which is a, a big part of that. Uh, the flip side of that is there's ritual in your teams. And if you're a small team, keeping the cadence of sprint planning, sprint review, those small things, sales meetings, like any of those things that even if, you know what, even if today we don't have a lot to talk about, get in the room, do the ritual, have a 15 minute meeting instead of a 60 minute meeting because that matters. I know you guys used to do Ignite the Week at PowerCat. I don't know if you still do that stuff. Right we, do, we do it bi-weekly now just because we need more time on yeah, product market fit. I, I totally get it. <laughs> but like that ritual matters, right? It's part of what helps you. It gives you the space to establish the culture that you want. 
Uh, so I'm pretty big on that stuff. And then there's a couple of things that I think uh, we did, I did a really good job of when we were a much smaller company. I don't do uh, as well at this now. I used to send a weekly email to the company. I would send it every week. It would be on, sometimes it would be random crap I was thinking about about the business and our like, how do we find product market fit? Sometimes it would be just recognizing team members. Sometimes it would be recognizing customer success. Like this company we built, they just got sold. Like that's freaking amazing. Or they're on the front page of Forbes or, you know, something like that. Like um, that, like, but, but basically every weekend you could have logged into your inbox and you would have gotten an email that was from me to you that highlighted either something that was bugging me that I was thinking about or highlighting a success. And, it, and it, I, I think, and a lot of the feedback I've gotten is it gave a lot of really great insight. I've fallen away from that for any number of reasons, but like, again, it, for, for, for over a year, it, uh, for a couple of years, it was a ritual that I did that was very, very meaningful to a number of the employees. And I think what yours should be different, right? But whatever those rituals are that you establish as a, as a team or, or, or leaders, um, should be something that you take very, very seriously. And it's the simplest thing to say, I don't need to send that email anymore or this week. I'll skip it and I'll come back next week. Or our, our sales team doesn't need to meet this week because we had the conference last week. Or we don't need to, you know, everybody knows what features they need to work on for the November release. So why should we meet and do sprint planning? Do it. Like it's more than just the functional task of what it is you're trying to do. Guess what also happens in a sales meeting? Sales team members figure out where they can support one another and how they can ask for help and when they can hand something off. And like, there's so much more that comes out of that than just the tactical, like, did you make enough phone calls yesterday? So I think ritual is something that doesn't get talked a lot in the startup community um, and, it, and to the extent it does, I think in many cases it gets demonized. Um, I think there's some important stuff that that is hidden inside of there. Well, I appreciate you both sharing uh, your perspective, having worked with many, many, many startups, uh, the things you need to prioritize in terms of hiring, retaining, sometimes firing, uh, to build the best teams, uh, because it is the team that build these products. So uh, thank you both. I hope we can have you both on the podcast again sometime soon. And thank you so much for being a partner at Powder Cake, too. Uh, it's great to have a partner. We know we can refer startups that we work with too, and know that they're going to get their payroll benefits, uh, workers comp, all of the things that a founder shouldn't really be focused on outsourced at the best price and the best rate. Uh, it really feels to us like, um, we don't have to think about that stuff and that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. Matt. You bet.